So, Merry Christmas, everyone. Or Merry Christmas Eve Day, I guess, technically. And as in typical form, I do not have a Christmas message for you. (laughs) Sorry. My only defense is that technically he was born in September, so I'm not going to take that on my shoulders. If you want to know that, I think that was in a message sometime back, but he was actually born on September 11th, corresponding to our calendar, uh, which is interesting because of how important that date is in Muslim history. You ever wonder why? There are reasons why. There are always reasons for things, but but uh, so we're, we're not going to be talking about that today, not talking about his birth, but we are going to be talking about relationship with Jesus Christ, <laughs> which is what we're all here for anyway. And that ties into everything that we're doing. You know, I, I got to tell you this story. Uh, I had a dream last night or really early this morning, and you ever have a dream where it's like you wake up from it, and it's like, no, okay, i got to go back to sleep. Maybe it'll continue. It was one of those dreams. And I went back to sleep, and it didn't continue. Of course, I didn't go back to sleep very long, but... There is a piece that it corresponds to that happened to me with the court team. I don't even know how long ago. Good night. Four, five, six years ago. I I don't even know what it was. I'm bad with timing anyways. There's probably a couple of weeks. But (laughs) anyways, there was a time where the Lord took me into what, what I've heard others call an active vision. Okay, I don't have words for these things because I was never taught in the church for these things. But but that's the best I can describe it. To me, what it means is, for all intents and purposes, I'm there. And yet I know my body is not there. Does that make sense? It's a little different than spirit travel. Spirit travel is when your body actually is there. But what I'm talking about in terms of an active vision is, is when your spirit is there, but you are engulfing all the normal senses that your body would engulf, right? I was definitely awake. It was not, it was not a dream. And the Lord took me to this room. And I found myself in this room. I saw a desk. It was an old, you know, brick, like you would see brick way back. I mean, like we would see brick in Nigeria, honestly. But it was clearly like hand-molded brick in this room. The room wasn't big. I'm going to say maybe... uh, maybe 10 by 10, roughly. It was square. The only thing in it was this desk. And on this desk, 
was parchment paper. Or it might have been might have been scroll paper because there was stuff on the edges. I didn't notice that per se. What I did notice is what was on it. And nobody was sitting there. There was a like a old wooden chair there. It might have been a stool. I walk over and, and, and I'm, I'm standing to the left of the desk. The desk right here. And I'm looking at the paper and I couldn't read it. It was a different language. But I said, Lord, what is this? And I said, it's the book, or the Lord said, it's the book of Romans. I said, oh, cool. Not sure what that means, but that's really cool. Then a person entered the door. And I didn't know this person, but it's like immediately I knew this person. This person was certainly compared to me very short. I'm going to say all of, all of maybe five feet, if that. And this gentleman, he's in a robe, sweating, comes over, sits down, and starts to write. And the Lord said, I want you to whisper into his ear the chapter 8 of Romans and just read it. So I did. Then I was gone. I was done. I was out. I said, Lord, what, what is that? What was that? was that? I mean, clearly that was Paul. Or, I mean, clearly in my mind that was Paul. I said, I said you know, was, was that like a vision of when he did it? He said, and the Lord said, no. He was doing it right then. He was writing it right then. I said, okay. <laughs> Forgive me, Lord, but how? how? How are you able to take me there to the moment Paul was writing that. And he said, because I am outside of time. Time is obedient to me, to the Lord. So that just stuck with me. And I, I, like, I don't know the reason why he did that necessarily, except to show what he wants to do with his bride. But then last night, or early this morning, I have this dream. And I'm walking through this, I'm, I'm outside a big home, a huge home, beautiful home, but I'm walking kind of, not gardens, but it's almost like a patio, stone patio area where you'd see a pool, but the, I, didn't, I didn't see a pool. But all this ornate stone and, I mean, just gorgeous, just gorgeous. And there are people all over the place. And I'm with somebody who even to this moment, I don't know who it was, except I'm guessing it was Jesus. But I, I don't want to say that because I would think I would like pay more attention <laughs> if it was him. But we're walking in there. We didn't really talk. He just said, we walk over and we're outside. And he said, look, there's Paul. And I look over and... Here is this man sitting on the ground. He's playing with an animal. And I, I'm not sure what kind of animal it was. I want to say it was like an otter. Isn't that weird? It was, it was like, kind of like a ferret, but much bigger. Either that or he was really small. <laughs> 
But he, he's, like, he's like playing with this thing and then talking to this little kid, this little boy. And I remember in the dream, I, I looked over at him and, I, oh my goodness, I, got, I, I just want to talk to him. There is so many questions I want to ask him. So many things I want to talk to him about. So I left, and that, that's why I really don't think it was Jesus, because if it was Jesus, I wouldn't have left. But I left, and I walked over, and I sat down. He was kind of facing away from me as I was walking over, and he was facing kind of a half wall, almost like there was railing up above and half wall. I went, and I sat against the wall. And the kid got up and left, and what's wild is he looked exactly like he did in the vision that I had years ago, except that he had robes on, and in this case, he had what we would consider normal clothes. I I don't remember what they were, but it was a shirt, and it was pants, whatever. But I just remember it now in the vision before he had a hat on, but in this case, he didn't, and he had fuzzy, real fuzzy hair. Not that that matters at all. But anyways, I sit down with my back against the thing, and I said, man, I really, I really want to meet you. And he kind of looks at me, and have you ever met somebody who's famous where they kind of look at you, and, and they're pleasant, like, Oh, yeah, nice, you know, and they kind of have that look like they're, they're going to act like they know you when they really have no clue who you are. That was the, the original look on his face when he heard that, and he looks at me like real pleasant and everything, looks over, and then his, his face just went straight and serious. And he said, you and I need to talk. We need to go somewhere. So we got in different cars. Don't ask me why. He got in his car and I got in my car. And I followed him, wondering where in the world is he taking me? Then I woke up. (laughs) It's like, seriously? Lord, you're teasing me. You're teasing me. He wanted to talk, and now I'm awake. And it's, it's not like I have to wake up yet. It's like, it was like 4.45. I don't have to wake up yet. So I was talking with the Lord this morning. You know, what do you want, Lord? And he said to me, the, the first thing that he said was kind of an odd statement and and I didn't know if it was just going to be for the for us. I didn't know if we'd be live till later. But what he said is, "Do you have joy in your difficulty? Do you have joy in your trials, or do you just try and get through them?" And I know, like, he, he, was, he was saying that to me for the purpose of this morning. Because that was something I settled a long time ago. That 
whatever Satan tries to do to come against me will not stop me, period. It just won't. And many, many of you have come to that same place where we go, I mean, per capita, I'm sorry, but per capita, this church goes through more than any other church I've ever known in my life. It's because of the battlefield that he has put us on. And it doesn't stop this church. It doesn't stop the moving forward. In fact, when you come to rejoice in your infirmity, and I say that very carefully, I'm not saying to rejoice that we're sick or rejoice, but when you rejoice in the weakness, there is a power to that that the enemy doesn't know what to do with. You all know that I shake. It's just gotten to be ridiculous. The same breakfast, (laughs) the same breakfast that I have eaten for 50 years, since I was about 10 years old, I've eaten the same thing, and it's peanut butter and jelly on toast with a glass of milk. It is, that is God-ordained, people. All right, I'm telling you, it is God-ordained. The funny thing is, as I shake more and more, you should see the peanut butter and jelly on top of the toast. I don't know what it is, but, you know, I, maybe part of it is because I'm praying while, you know, during that, maybe I should just try and do it a time when I'm not paying attention to anything. But I'm like this and, and trying to get it on there and, and all of a sudden the, the bread will flip over here and, and then, and then, you know, I put the jelly on and I'm just trying to get it spread out a little bit. And that's all good. I get that done. Then I try and eat it. <laughs> you know, we're like this. Charlie, my dog, he is thrilled that I shake. Because all he does is he just stands beneath me and he just waits. I know it's coming. I know it's coming and I like peanut butter. Here it comes. And every time I do, I thank the Lord. Lord, just get in my mouth what needs to go. But thank you. Thank you because although I don't like the infirmity, I don't like the lack of precision in my hands. I love your Holy Spirit. I love your presence. I love... The closeness that comes with that. Now that might be an easy one to do. But let me share a tough one with you. You know I have trouble with my neck. Where I have headaches almost all the time. Where as much as I don't like pills, I am thankful for Excedrin, migraine. Because it seems to be the only thing that helps. Praise God that he allowed something that helps. Because he has promised me that these are gone. In fact, I declare it in Jesus' name. He promised me next year. He said, I am faithful to you. And they will not be there next year. I believe that. I'm confident in that. But here's the thing, when it's debilitating, it can't stop you. 
It can't stop you. And I know you guys go through difficult things. I know many who go through stomach issues, many who go through issues in their entire body. Physical issues are different. They're tough. I know we all go through other issues. We go through financial issues and we go through things like that. But even when Satan was allowed to test Job, he did all the external things, took away his wealth, everything else. He said, but if you let me touch his body, he'll turn from you. That was like the ultimate test. What's it a test for? Where your focus is going to be. What are you going to focus on? Because in a time when he is raising up warriors, he has to know that a paper cut is not going to stop him. He has to know that a bullet wound is not going to stop them. Because see, there's a goal at the end. And I, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to try and present the will of God and the, and the way He does things in infirmities like we are destined to have to deal with certain things. Because in reality, it's all a result of the curse, which Jesus fully paid for. But what I can tell you is, I'll just speak personally, and I know it's the same with with many in this church, that we're plagued with these things, and it's not because of sin. It's not because of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's not because of a lack of faith. I've never been part of a church that has faith like this church. It is simply the cost of battle. The cost that we pay right now is a cost that will draw the church who can't pay later. See, that was Paul's whole life. In fact, I want you to turn. Turn to 2 Corinthians. It was, it was wild because I was sitting with the Lord this morning and I'm like frustrated that I couldn't continue that dream and actually talk to Paul and and, and I'm like, you know, it's kind of unfair, Lord. <laughs> and so I said, so what do you want for this morning? He, he, he goes, just open your Bible. And I opened my Bible, and it was in Second Corinthians, and I wasn't there before. <laughs> it's like the Lord just turned it there and said, stop crying and open your Bible. Maybe Paul did talk to you. Maybe he talked to your spirit because your spirit's willing to listen and you're too dumb because you just want to meet him. So he takes me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Actually, he took me to half of 11 first and I read these things. Paul gives this long list of his suffering. And, and I'm sorry, but there is not a soul in here, probably not a soul on this earth that would have a list greater than that. Even being beaten 
39 lashes five times. Okay, do you know why it's 39 lashes? Because the Romans said if you go 40, they'll die. This is not a small thing. And he got it five times. And that was only a piece. He goes on to list all these other things. And, and, you know, honestly, if you really read through his epistles, he didn't even list everything. He didn't list being bit by a snake. I don't know about you, but, you know, if I'm reaching down to a fire and I get bit by, by this venomous serpent that was big and deadly and everything else, I'm probably not going to act real calm. Paul just holds up his hand and it was attached to his arm. That's what the Bible says. So it was like the snake was hanging on. And he just took it off and threw it in the fire and went about his business. That's literally what changed the people of that island. Then they thought he was God. But it gave him opportunity to say who God really was. But he goes down through all this infirmity. And literally he is saying, I'm not going to boast about this, but let me boast about it. I will not boast about, but let me tell you about it anyway. And he lists all these things and, and you're just in your mind like, what, you know what, let's, let's read it because this is just insane what he, what he goes through. Let's go back to verse 16. Let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, ask, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. <laughs> it's like having this war within him. I don't want to boast, but I'm going to boast. Because who he's really boasting on, you'll see, is God. What am I saying with this boastful confidence? I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will, blo- will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. Do you get the vibe of what he's saying here? He said, you guys are a bunch of crybabies. And you have every right to be a crybaby because being slapped in the face is such a horrific, important thing. I mean, I mean, I only had to deal with this. And then he goes on to list that. So you, you kind of get the vibe of what he's saying here. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? Haha, <laughs> I'm a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times, verse 24, five times I received at the hand of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. 
A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food. In cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. It's interesting how he pointed that out. That was heavier on him than anything else. He was a true pastor, a true shepherd. He cared about the flock. (laughs) Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, He who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Eretus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now, he goes into some of the most extraordinary, extraordinary events in the Word of God that he literally couldn't tell anybody about. Didn't even take credit for him himself. But he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, which if you do study, right, the, when, when Paul was called and became saved on the road to Damascus, it wasn't right away that he, you know, okay, go to Bible school, and then, you know, after you graduate Bible school, then you could go out and minister. No, he spent 17 years in preparation. 17 years. It was not a slow process, or not a fast process. It was a slow process because God had to change paradigms. God literally had to show him who he was. And that's what Paul's explaining here. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. (laughs) I love it. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. Do you get what he's saying here? Many times Paul said, Look at my life. He said, look at my life. Do what I do. In fact, he even said in a prayer, he said, Lord, I would wish that these people were exactly as me except for these chains. Because his relationship with the Lord, 
was the most important thing. It wasn't all the things he had been through. What did he say? I won't boast of those things, but, but if I can boast, I'll boast about this guy. The guy who was taken to the third heaven. Who sat with the Lord. Oh, man. He's saying all of his experiences, and it's in reference to recognize that you're on a battlefield and there's a cost that you have to push through. Because the church was crying that they were getting slapped in the face. You know, praise God, they weren't having their head cut off. Because the church has gone through that. I've seen that one time. And it was burned into my mind. Even now, I, I, I see it like, like I saw it then. The battlefield is real. The battlefield, honestly, is not for the church, because the church can't handle it. That's what Paul's talking about here. church can't handle it. But there is a remnant that is called to battle because others can't. And others don't have the relationship to even be able to do that. Well, guess what? That's where we find ourselves right now in history. The church can't fight. The church for years, for decades probably centuries, has looked at its power in volume of people. You look historically even here in the United States, what are, what are the churches with influence? Well, they're the churches with 20,000, 30,000 people. And then when the whole online thing, you know, it got, got skewed a little bit, but now, now you've got voices that assumably have power. They can make change in local government. They can make change, supposedly, in national government. (laughs) And yet, who has turned, in many ways, their back on what God has done? The church. Well, you know, we don't want Trump. Not again. I mean, it was fine to have him the first time. Great. Thank you for the change. But you're just a little too offensive to be in our ivory towers. So we're going to back maybe somebody else. I'm not trying to be prophetic. What I'm trying to say is the church has no power. None. There is a remnant, however. God always sets aside a remnant. Always. Because he said that he will never let that flame die. Never let that flame die. And there is a remnant on the earth right now. Ignition is a part of that remnant. 
that just believes. We just believe. (laughs) We believe. And you know what? We'll step up onto the battlefield no matter if it costs us even our life. See, that's the point at where God's power can manifest. He said it's in my weaknesses I will boast. But I want you to get this. I want to start at verse 6 again. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool except uh, a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, and here's why. Get this. So that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. You know what that is? That is let your testimony do the speaking. That is don't stand up and tell people what they're supposed to do if your life does not back up what you are saying. See, that's a real instrument of God. Because He doesn't need that instrument to say what people need to do because they're showing what needs to happen. We're coming into a very dark time for this world. And I want to share something with you. We're going to turn in a minute to Revelation, but it will not be a dark time for that remnant. It doesn't mean you're not going to notice the dark time. You're going to see it around you. You're going to see it all around you. David even talked about it where he said, A thousand fall at my left, ten thousand at my right, and yet you hold me. We're going to see that. That is not a metaphor, guys. That is a reality. We will see that in war. We will see that in pestilence. We will see that in famine. And yet, just like the children of Israel, we will have everything we need. And more than that. Because in that time, there is a shift happening. There is a shift not only of power, but what comes with that power, that influence, everything else. Literally, what God is showing is these are my children. Why do you think they're being blessed? Because they don't care what the world has. Because they don't care about it, guess what? I'm going to give it to them. See, the the church has gone way wrong in saying that you have the right to money. You have the right to drive a Rolls Royce. I remember pulling in, this is a couple of years ago, pulling into a a gas station in Abuja. And we pull into this gas station, there's this insane Rolls Royce right in front of us. And I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. By the way, there are some insanely rich people in Nigeria. It's just there's no middle class. You got way up and you got way down. And then I noticed this little sign in the window and it just broke my heart. And I can't remember the exact words of it, but it was something to the effect of, 
thank God I am a preacher. And I'm like, I mean, if he has a relationship with him and everything else, then that's awesome. But you know what? Let your life do the talking. I'm, I'm all for, now, Lord, I don't really want a rolls. I'm not a rolls kind of, kind of a guy, but, you know, I mean, you, you, you give me some other things, I, I, I'd be happy with it. I'm not going to say I got it because I'm a preacher. I'm going to say I got it because God couldn't resist. It's kind of like your kids at Christmas. When you pack those packages, and man, you're, you're more excited about them opening it than, than they are. And they're pretty excited. But you're like, yeah, oh, that's awesome. That's what God is too. But see, the direction has to be correct first. The direction has to be about Him. And not just about Him, but about bringing His kingdom here. And you know what? That's going to cost you your life. It'll cost you everything that you are. It'll cost you your paradigms. It'll cost you your control. It'll cost. But it's because that remnant has a responsibility. The responsibility isn't just to bathe in God's glory. And praise God for that. And we get to experience His glory, get to experience His presence. But that's not what we're called just for that. We're called to fight for those who don't even know to fight for themselves. They may know Jesus Christ as Savior. And praise God, they're part of the bride. But guess what? The lukewarm of the bride will be spit out. I'm not going to tell you what I think that means. But you don't spit something out you're going to use later. You're discarding it. The darkness that is coming is His justice. His justice hits the church first. It has already been hitting. It's already dismantling. It's already throwing into disarray. I mean, it started with COVID. That may have been released by China. But it was authorized by God. Know that. Know that. There is nothing coming that God is not fully in control of. So why does He allow things like that? Because He needs more than His remnant to seek Him in relationship. He needs His bride to be ready. The entire bride. Why? Because he deserves it. He deserves it. He deserves more than a few people just saying, I give you my everything. He created me same as he created each of you. Why does he deserve any less from any one of us? He doesn't. He deserves our everything. 
And yet the bride is comfortable because they've got their ticket to heaven. And now it's just a matter of, you know, how, how do I endure this earth? And you've got, you got different types. You've got people that have the opportunity laid in front of them to understand relationship, and they don't. For different reasons. Maybe they don't believe that God talks to you today. That would stop relationship. It just does. If I don't believe Alexa will talk to me, then it's just a contract of marriage. There's no relationship building if we can't have a conversation. And then there's some that are so steeped in doctrine, they believe things that are not true. The church isn't meant to be a part of politics. The pulpits should just talk about salvation and leave it there. (laughs) Thanks, Satan. Yeah, if you believe that, man alive. I got some swampland to sell you down in Florida. Because I'll tell you what, we are to focus on that relationship with Him. Not just get through life. And it doesn't mean life's not going to hit you. In fact, when you step out for Jesus Christ, life's going to hit you even more. And if you find yourself on the battlefield with the remnant, guess what? It's going to hit you even more. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Rub dirt in it. Keep moving. It doesn't belittle the trial. Please understand. I, I know. I, I Sometimes my neck will lock up so bad. And to where, you know, I, I, when, it, when it hurts, I can't lay down. I have to sit up or stand up. But sometimes it locks up so bad that I'm like, Lord, this, this is really hurting your cause because I can't concentrate. I can't do this. I can't do that. And he's like, got nothing to do with you. You still can focus on me and let me do it. And so we go to war. Alexis prays over me. Or if she's going through something, I'll pray over her. Or we'll pray as a family. Or we'll put it on God's squad to pray. Or we'll do this and that. We'll unite and fight. Not just for the purpose of making that go away. See, it's, it's really ultimately for the purpose of killing the enemy. If your prayer is not about killing the enemy, I don't know, don't waste your time. He just is going to keep coming back. In fact, uh, like, did, did you give that scenario in ladies' class? Yeah, i, I got to share this. The ladies have already heard it, but, but it was so awesome. The Lord gave Alexis this, this uh, uh, what would you call that? An analogy. Thank you. It was awesome. It, you ever play whack-a-mole? You know, that game where something pops up, you got to 
pound it down and it'll pop up somewhere else. And it is the most frustrating game. I hate it. You know, but that's what Satan does. Pops up right here. You whack it down. He pops up over here. Whack it down. Pop up. You're just going like this all over the place. Pretty soon you got five arms and you're just, but it keeps popping up. But guess what? And this was the epiphany that the Lord gave her. Each one you're hit, you're knocking out. Another may pop up, but you're knocking them out. And then the second epiphany that he gave is there comes a point where game's over. They can't pop up anymore. I don't know. Maybe there's an analogy of stop feeding your quarters in there. I I don't know. Yeah. But see, the fight is not just about the win, and it's not just, or I'm, I'm sorry, it's not just about the endurance, it's not just about the healing, it's not just about God take me from this place. It's about the process and about your heart and about your endurance and about your desire to see God's will. Why? Because Paul said, God is strong in my weakness. In fact, he he said, so I would rather be weak. I'm not going to say what Paul said. I'm not going to reiterate that because I don't want to be weak. I want to be strong and God be strong in my weakness of strength. Because see, what has never happened before is the bringing of his kingdom right here. So something has to be different. Something We don't just revel in, oh man, I'm, I'm suffering for the Lord. I, you know, I, I, I can't even lay down. I'll get a couple hours of sleep. You know, my neck's all locked up. My this, my that. I, oh, but praise God. You know, but how about praise God in the time that I've been in pain, 20 demonic spirits are in the abyss. That's a praise God. Because it's a movement. It's a movement that understands warfare has a cost to victory. That's where we're at. So when we step into this darkness, and, and it is going to get very dark, and it's going to get dark for the bride, guys. That's why God told me to gather together seven specific prophets. Because it is only through those seven voices that God will reveal to the world, to his bride, what he plans to do. I thought that was so interesting. Because in Amos, he said he never does anything without telling him first. So isn't it cool that he is going to set aside a group? And it's, I'm not going to get into what it looks like because it's, it's not just those seven, but the others that are involved have a different role. But it's going to be dark for the church. They're going to be clamoring to understand what's going on. Satan's winning. You know, China is invading the, the U.S. 
What's going on? Satan's winning. No, he's not. He's not winning at all. Because it's going to start to bring up the shining, if you will, of the remnant. They're going to shine. Not shine like they've accomplished something. Shine because they have relationship with Jesus Christ. And because of that, they will accomplish something. People will start to see, why aren't you afraid? I mean, we get that now. Why aren't you afraid of this? Nothing compared to what's coming. Nothing. And coming quickly. That silence will happen very, very soon. Certainly in this next year. I believe within the next few months. I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 3. Church Philadelphia. We've read this before. Start at verse 8. I know your works. And I want you to think of this. He's talking to the church of Philadelphia, but I want you to think that he's talking to the remnant in today's time, because he is. I know your works, this remnant. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. What's that open door? That that open door is his kingdom manifesting here. It's not an open door like, you know, you can lay down and go to heaven. You know, we'll, we'll just take you out of this world. You know, if, if God's whole goal was just to destroy the earth, that would be the easiest thing. Yeah, let me, the people that really care for me, let me take them out of the world first. And then I didn't, I, I said I wouldn't destroy it by water. So this time I'm going to destroy it by nuclear war. Right? By fire. He said he would destroy it by fire. He could do that. But that's not his goal. You see, his goal is not to destroy the earth. His goal is to manifest his kingdom on the earth. The bride is supposed to rule. The bride is supposed to fulfill what Adam and Eve did not. In fact, the bride is supposed to fulfill what the principalities given the nations at the Tower of Babel did not. If you don't believe me and don't understand the correlation, read Psalm 82, where the Father said, You are as gods, but you will all die as men. Why? Because you have not stewarded what I placed in your hands. That has to happen. That's why the Song of Songs talks about coming back for a readied bride. Not one that's so down and out and didn't take shower and didn't brush their teeth or comb their hair. Didn't prepare themselves. And certainly not for a bride who doesn't love him. 
He's coming back for a ready bride. That's why it culminates in a wedding ceremony. That wedding ceremony is the bride being ready. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb. And for all of you who think that that's going to happen after we die and go to heaven and after the rapture and all that, good luck with that thought because that's not the case. It's going to happen right here on the earth. It's going to happen with those who he, he has called that had the right wedding apparel. Right? That one got in that didn't have the right apparel on, what'd he do? He didn't say, oh, here, come here, I got a suit you could put on because you look a little ridiculous. No, he said, throw them outside. Throw them outside where they'll be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Boy, that's not a gracious host way to handle things. It's because this is different. He's saying those who come to that feast are the ones who have given themselves fully to the groom, to Jesus Christ. So it says you have this open door, this time in which he is calling his kingdom to manifest here. But you have little power. And yet you have kept my word, not denied my name. Verse 9, Behold, I will make those, and this is, for years, this has been one of the most amazing promises to me, to the remnant bride. He said, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, behold, or and are not, but lie, behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I've loved you. Okay. He didn't say, all those people that don't believe you, they they say that they're like you. Kind of like Nancy Pelosi standing up in, 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 you know, uh, in the speaker of the house when she would read a prayer or read a verse. I'm a Christian. I I think every, just about every uh, political person in the last hundred years has said they're a Christian. Barack Obama said he was a Christian. All these people say they're Christian, but they're really not. And that's who he's talking about here. That's who he's talking about here. Those who claim God and do not know God. And what's it say? I will make them. The word here is bow at your feet. What it really is saying, that Greek word there is to pay homage. Not to worship. Because that remnant will never take that worship. But to pay homage, to give honor to. The bride will be lifted up because of who the bride is marrying. Not because of us, but because of Him. And then I want you to get this next part. Because, verse 10, because 
you have kept my word about patient endurance. What are we doing now? We are patiently enduring. We are patiently, well, we are enduring. And many times patiently. (laughs) So I think it's enough to qualify under patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. I used to, years ago, before all the paradigm changes that the Lord took me through, I used to think that was referring to taking the church out with the rapture. It's not what it's talking about at all. In fact, if you read later in Revelation when it talks about the trumpets and the seventh trumpet, the seventh trumpet is all about the kingdom being here. And guess what? It happens. That's the seventh trumpet. That is, that, that's what's culminating even now what we're working toward. And so what's he saying? He's saying this hour of difficulty that you're about to come into, which is what we're in right now and going to go into right now. He said, I will take you from that. Doesn't mean he's going to take us all out, come to heaven, hang out up there. No, because we have to stay on the battlefield. He has to take us to that place of deliverance, just like he did Israel coming out of Egypt. But he said, I will keep you from that turmoil. I will keep you. You will not be the target of what I am doing. In fact, the verse before says, you're going to be the reason for others to turn to me. That's what he's going to do. So know as you move forward in this fight, on this battlefield, it doesn't mean that we just sit and endure stuff. I fight for my neck. Now my shaking's a little bit different, you know, because I still can't eat. I can brush my teeth. That's kind of humorous to watch me brush my teeth. Who, who here has to brush your teeth with two hands? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I'm like, because both my head moves and my, my hands move. So it's like I'm just, Lord, keep us in rhythm. <laughs> keep us in rhythm. <laughs> as much as I know healing's coming from my neck, as much as I know these things, it's not going to keep me off the battlefield. It can't keep you off the battlefield. You have to trust what that is purchasing for you and for the bride. Everything that you go through, everything that you deal with in giving it to Him, you are winning something. You're purchasing something. Just like Jesus purchased on the cross through His infirmity. You purchase something through yours. Now, it also doesn't mean that you wish for infirmity. No, you know, you, you want to know what you want to wish for, what you want to pray for is victory. Whatever I have to go through, get me into that city so we could take the city. And then when that city is taken, we'll have our eyes on another city, another country, another continent. 
until there are no more. Why is it that Satan is the one, the only one that can have that mind frame? Because that's what he's thought. He's going to take the world. He's going to fill the world with his seed. The world will be under his authority. He claims every city. You see it throughout the word of God. He goes after those things. Why can't we? What happened to the bride to make her think that she's not allowed to fight? I I don't know. Man, that was some crazy stuff that Satan got us to believe. I've told the story before. When I was in second grade, I used to get beat up every day. And finally came home and had a bloody lip or something. And my dad said, what in the world happened to you? And I said, well, they beat me up every day. I was embarrassed to tell him because I just, he said, okay, and what would you do? I said, well, you know, I just take it. He said, Why? Why? Why are you just taking it? Church, why are you just taking it? You don't have to take it. I know in my case, my dad said, fight back. And my answer to him was, don't know how. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fight. And he really didn't give me a lot of instruction. (laughs) I love him. He didn't really give me a lot of instruction on that. All he said was, he said, you pick the biggest one and you just fight him. And I'm thinking, okay, I can pick the biggest one. I don't know how to fight him. So I picked the biggest one. Next day, they went to do it again. There's like six or seven of them. They went to do it again. I picked the biggest one. And I tackled him to the ground and I sat on him. And I held his hands. I didn't know how to hit him. I didn't know what to do. I just, I just wasn't going to let him move. And it embarrassed him so much that he apologized. And they all ended up becoming my best friends. It was really cool. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that the world's going to become our best friend. I'm just saying it's okay to fight. Certainly okay in the spirit. Man, if you're not fighting in the spirit, you're you're not even close to being on the battlefield. You're just being carpet bombed. But it's also okay to fight in the physical. And I'm not talking about beating people up. I'm talking about speaking truth. Speak truth. Don't let lies hang out into the atmosphere. When you're with a group of people and there are lies being spoken, you don't have to be offensive. Just say, you know what? I just, I can't let that stand because that's not true. That's not true. Here's the truth. And you offer them the truth. It may or may not affect them. But you know what it affects? The battlefield. In the background, those demonic spirits are boom, 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 boom. They're getting the snot beat out of them. And it's preparing ground to be taken. That's the time that we're in. Taking that ground. 
he, I, I think I said it last week, it, it's about an army rising up. Well, we're, we're just not in a recruiting mode now. We've been on the battlefield for a while. But the darkness that we're going into is not just about heavier battle. The darkness is about victory. It's about taking the cities. It's about taking the territories. And we take them for the sake of the one we have relationship with. Alexis, come on up. I lost it. There was something on my mind. I can't remember. I can't remember what I was going to say. There is so much um, that has just been flowing through my mind with this this warfare. I think the thing that um, I've been speaking about the most in different situations is to recognize the spirit realm. Right before I stood up, I was caught in this um, this place that was kind of like there was a scene. Um, I only watched it because other people were kind of fans of the movie, but I think it was either the first or the second Avatar where there's a scene where uh, some group that wanted to stop the people in the in the cubes that can operate the avatars in the other world were incapacitated. And basically that incapacitation affected the other realm and they couldn't do what they needed to do. In fact, that particular um, person just fell flat that was that was being operated by him and and I, I thought that was interesting. It's interesting how even Hollywood depicts different realms in their understanding. And everything in this human experience, this human realm, with all the limitations of space and time and all that, it is impacted by the spirit greatly. And that's why Ephesians 6.12, um, Colossians 2, um, all these ver- not even just 612, but the entire chapter of, of six in terms of the weapons of our warfare, but understanding that and second Corinthians 10 in the three through five, those verses, those are all about understanding how to wield through this war in the right way. Otherwise you're just kind of punching at the air thinking you're getting somewhere and you're literally hitting the air because you're, you're, you're having physical steps that can't be can't make change until the spirit realm is dealt with so we do have to look at things spiritually we have to look at things so the fight it is going to manifest in a in a backing up of of human things that we'll have to do but even for those people there's a lot of people prepping right now that aren't going to be very successful if they are void of the spirit realm. I mean, there, there may be some basic external provisions and protections that they'll have, but the true protection is on the people of God because they are accessing the real prepping, which is in the spirit. God is leading many to, you know, to be wise in their human resources, but the real protection and the real strategies to protect us through these coming dark days is found in the kingdom of God. So when we recognize these things, that's where the power is. 
And so that will just change everything. Every time I'm in a conversation with someone, every time I'm at a store, every time I interact, whatever I do, I would just encourage you, before we close in prayer here, discern in the spirit. And you might think, well, you know, discerning of spirits, that's not necessarily my gift. My gift is this or it's that. All, discerning of spirits is something God wants everyone to have because he wants us to have the mind of Christ and the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of man. But always discern what's happening. If somebody's, you know, super upset and just completely um, loses control on you, recognize what may be happening with them. Recognize what may be on them. It isn't just about who hurt you and spoke harshly to you or who, you know, seems to not like you. And sometimes we go in and we feel, those who have feeler giftings or who are really heightened to the spirit realm, can go in and immediately be so aware of that gift that they're not recognizing that what they're feeling is not about them. It's about their feeling what's on other people. And so they're absorbing atmospheres that you need to go to the Lord and say, okay, what am I discerning? What do I do about it? Do I pray about it? Do I act on it? Do I speak into it? Or, or do I just stand firm because I've walked into a place of, of real darkness? And, um, and, and so many Christians don't understand even how to do that. A dear friend of mine years ago, um, we ate dinner at a very unusual restaurant and had a very dark room, like a dungeon-looking room, and there was a private party in there. And uh, as we were walking out, she was very curious, and she peeked her head into and stepped just a little bit into that room out of curiosity she woke up the next morning with a claw three deep scratches all the way down her face that she knew were she knew it was witchcraft that her face was literally i mean it healed but i mean it was a literal physical marring of her face because she had stepped into darkness and did that you know those things when you hear about those things you think okay well how's that possible what could she have done she didn't understand discerning of spirits she didn't understand, you know, did God want her to do that? You know, when we step and we walk by faith and not by sight, we know what to attack. Now, I think the enemy took advantage of what she didn't know. And that's why many, 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 many Christians walk around being oppressed and cursed and completely overcome by witchcraft because they have no idea the authority that they have to remove it. They have no idea. They're, they literally are sitting here just beating the air not knowing that, that what the weight of what they're dealing with is not fought by any of that. It's fought before the throne of God through the power of the blood of Jesus, knowing who you are in Christ and what Jesus paid for you to carry. And then by faith, taking authority over that. So that is the fight. As it manifests in the human realm, it doesn't mean that we will only be on our knees because we're coming into a unique time. So balancing the two and i've been talking so much to the lord on this which will be a subject for another time but i'm like lord how do i navigate the human realm with the spirit realm because they're colliding in a very powerful way right now and many people can feel it and don't really know what to do with it but i'm telling you it'll always be going back to what god is saying and doing and who you are in that in christ jesus so that's why the personal relationship is really everything it's not about giftings and this and that. And yeah, but I'm not, I'm not as gifted as that. I can't, I'm not called to that. Know who you are. And God will show you. You will be surprised at how he opens your eyes in a situation. And you'll see something that you didn't know was possible to see. Um, both to love on people, to help them, 
And, uh, and so it, it, and it's amazing. It's beautiful when God does it. Just like the people that were trying to spit at us, uh, Rich, at that one uh, rally or that one, um, you know, when we were standing firm at U of D with the pro-life uh, abortion fight. It wasn't a rally, but it was a, it was a march, yeah. And the love, I was shocked. I was thinking I was just going to, you know, try to be firm and maybe give truth and hand out a bunch of pamphlets. And, and I did that, but I had no idea the weapon that he gave me was love. It was like... I had no idea. I could see it melting right through some of these people that probably these young girls that were just seething. Some of them were practically just gnashing their teeth literally at me. But love, they didn't know what to do with it. They just didn't. It was dismantling all their powers. And yet it was just more, Lord, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? Man, when you're a vessel, watch what he'll do. And that is what he'll do even in your families. With, this is Christmas morning, or Christmas Day Eve morning. As you go and interact with people maybe you haven't seen, even this week through New Year's, how do you interact with family that thinks you're nuts or doesn't agree or this or that? The, you can start with love. You can start there and trust that God will, um, God will fill in the rest. Um, so don't fight falsely. Don't fight uh, with your flesh. Don't fight with your own mind. Fight with the mind of Christ, and he will direct you. But uh, praise God for, for that reminder and really seeing him above all the pain because um, it's, um, it's amazing the breakthrough that we're, we're charting a path. We're charting a path here for those that come behind. And I'm really excited. Don't ever forget. Don't ever forget. Last thing I'll say, your breakthrough, your personal step and breakthrough is not just about you. It is for everyone you love and it is for everyone that God has that you will be impacting. So it isn't just about feel-good moments and, Lord, give me breakthroughs so I can get through my day, uh, 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 you know, because I've been dealing with my back and other issues. And the Lord's reminding me, this is so much bigger than you. This is not about your ache and pain, even though he cares deeply about that. And he even cares about a paper cut. They can just be really nasty and, and miserable. He cares. It's not about that. It's about let's rise above it. Let's see it. And... Um, because he's good. He's faithful. Father God, thank you. Thank you, God. I just worship you. I praise you. Thank you for what you're doing in this time. Thank you for these reminders while they sometimes grate at our flesh because we, we, do, we do get hit with the temptation to be weary. And yet you said, Lord, to let us not be weary in well-doing, in this relational journey that we're on with you for in due season we will reap if we faint not god help us not to faint oh oh god oh jesus the burning one burning one come and light the flame light the flame within us to burn with you that we might embody your light i ask this in the name of jesus for you are the first and brightest burning one. And as you gave us the flames as part of our part of our logo, God, that was all imagery that you gave that is what you actually expect us to be. You expect us to be a flame that burns. First, it's it's our own burning that takes place so that the fire can continue to rage within us to purify to re- produce that refined gold. But then it also is the heat 
And like those expressions, bring in the fire. It's bringing the fire to the darkness of this world and burning it all up. Because you are about to do a new thing and bring your glory. So God, keep. Keep us lit. And in some cases, maybe take take the dryness, the embers even, and just reignite. Reignite the flame of our hearts, of our passion for you, God. That we would just know that, oh, while the darkness is coming, the glory, the glory, God, is coming. Thank you for your glory. I never knew what it cost, even as I look all through scripture, what it costs to see your glory. So, God, I pray that you would just help us to see that you are the prize in everything that we do. I just love you, God. I thank you. Thank you for this church. I pray for each one of them here today, online, in Nigeria. Father God, that you would lift our eyes to you, that we would lift our eyes and see that this is where we fix. We seek first in every step. Seek first your kingdom, your righteousness, your holiness. And then you will add all that's needed. For you know what we have need of. So thank you, God. You are so faithful. You are so faithful. We just love you, God. We praise you. We say and declare all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.